G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Coming up today on The Story. Someone had put a, a message on this list that they needed a medical scientist or somebody with lab experience to help improve a lab at a children's hospital in Cambodia. <laughs> so I thought, oh, I could do that job. The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, last time on the program, we spoke with scientist Robin Devenish, who went through a rebellious period in her life and called herself a born-again atheist. We also heard how Robin eventually regained her faith in God to the delight of her son, Pastor Chris Brown, who we heard from at the beginning of our series. Today, we pick up the story right after she put her faith in Jesus and was looking for a way to serve the Lord. We'll hear the incredible way God uses her unique gifts as a scientist for his glory in Cambodia. It's all coming up today as Robin continues her chat with Eric Scadabo from her home in Western Australia. I was reading my emails Mm -hmm. and I belong to a medical lab technology email group Mm -hmm. and someone had put a, a message on this list that they needed a medical scientist or somebody with lab experience to help improve a lab at a children's hospital in Siem Reap in Cambodia. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, I could do that job. And mm-hmm. then it was like a thunderbolt hit me. It was really amazing. I thought, this is what God wants me to do. This is what is spoken to me because I didn't want to particularly join a church. I wanted to go and do something for God. And um, so I wrote back and said, oh, I could be interested to the hospital director. And he wrote straight back and said, oh, are you the answer to our prayers? (laughs) So I just said, yes, straight away I'll come, not knowing anything what I was going to let myself in for. Yeah, so he asked you, are you the answer to our prayers? And you knew the answer. Yes. You were. Yes. And I thought, well, yes, that's what God wants me to do. And I didn't have any family commitments apart from my mum, who was still living at home by herself and well looked after. So I thought, oh, I'm just going to go for a year and that'll be fine. And I asked my boss and he gave me a year off work without pay and everyone was very supportive. Mm-hmm. And then... Of course, around this time before I left and after my conversion, I asked my son Chris if he would baptise me. Mm -hmm. And, of course, he was thrilled with that. Yeah, I was going to ask you, in general, what was their reaction when their prodigal mother returned to the Lord? Oh, they were just amazed and very, very happy and rejoicing. And so he got to, your pastor's son got to baptize you. How special was that? Yes, yes, yes. And one of my cousins had a really nice little tiny pool in their front yard. So I just invited all my friends and relatives and Chris just did it in the pool and I yeah. gave a test to me. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And my other son, he read something from the Bible and prayed for me. So I was able to witness to a lot of people as mm-hmm. well. And I just can't describe how happy I was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Very special. And, I, I just, and it wasn't difficult. I didn't. Uh, I just went with the flow <laughs> and everything, and it, there was it was a huge thing to organise the airfares and getting there and the visas, and then I had a huge lot of supplies like syringes, needles. I I didn't know what to expect over there, mm-hmm. so in the end, I ended up going with Singapore Airlines, and they gave me free cargo that I didn't have. To pay oh, wow. this luggage, and the Singapore Airlines manager or somebody came and saw me off the airport. I've got a photo somewhere of all the boxes of stuff I took over there. So. Yeah, so this was in 2001. You arrived yes, in Cambodia. Yes. You were thinking that you would only be there for a year. But yes, little did you yes. know what was going to happen. Yes, yes. So it was run by mainly Americans, but and mm-hmm. one with Cambodian staff. And luckily for me, they had an English teacher there. So most of the staff, including the lab, could speak some English, some mm-hmm. quite good. Mm-hmm. And the lab staff were just so beautiful, so intelligent, but they mm-hmm. never had anyone teach them properly. So after a year... I realised that I was never going to teach them everything that I needed to teach them. So the problem I found was because of the Pol Pot regime killing off all the doctors and the universities and hospitals, that the doctors, not their fault, they just hadn't been taught about many diseases. So there was so much misdiagnosis because... The labs didn't have the tests and the doctors didn't know the test, didn't know what to order. In any case, the labs couldn't do the test. So at the end of that first year, I I went back to Australia and I said to my boss, I'm in Royal Perth Hospital, I, I'm going to resign and, and go back and work full time. Yeah. Now, just a little history lesson The Khmer Rouge regime decimated Cambodia in the late 1970s, targeting the educated for torture and execution. And you're saying some 30 years later, the country was still suffering from that atheistic, communistic regime. Is that right? Yes, because um, they just annihilated the whole intellectual state. And then, Mm -hmm. then Vietnam came in and rescued Cambodia from the Khmer Rouge. Mm -hmm. So, but the poor Cambodians had to then learn Vietnamese, anyone studying medicine or lab, or they were sent to Russia or somewhere like that to mm-hmm. study. So they had to learn Russian. Oh, wow. Um, and they, then they'd, wow. maybe there was a lot of French there too because it was a French colony. So so they had no, no textbooks, no nothing. Yeah. So All these reasons you're mentioning contributed to the medical community being many years behind the times. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And it, and there were a lot of expat doctors there who I was quite shocked who said to me, oh, don't, one's actually said, don't cast your pearls before swine because they don't 
they're sort of dumb and they'll never know how to do the <laughs> do the test oh. or the and I was horrified and yeah. they were they're just as intelligent as us. It's yeah. just that they didn't have they hadn't been taught or they didn't have the money to buy things. And so I was shocked. They thought you were wasting your time. Yeah, so I had to fight to improve the lab because mm-hmm. yeah. the hospital admin thought it was a waste of time. But So I, a lot of what I did, I did on my own back and paid for it myself or got free reagents from Australia. From mm-hmm. I used to go back and ask my colleagues for bits of reagents so that I could at least set the tests up and show them how to do it. So. It was just so incredibly rewarding to um, to know I was really teaching and saving lives. So in a nutshell, many of the lab tests, they weren't doing for blood tests. And therefore, yes, a yes. lot of patients were being misdiagnosed. Is that right? Yes, yes. So, for example, um, there was a lot of anemia. Um, they were just treating it as though it was iron deficiency, but mm-hmm. really... In Cambodia, there's a lot of thalassemia, which is a genetic hemoglobin disorder, which giving iron is the absolute wrong thing to do. You oh. need to give oh, no. blood transfusions. And they they said to me, oh, Robin, we don't get it here. It's only in the Mediterranean where it is, but it's hugely prevalent in Asia as well. Yeah, so you must <laughs> so have been horrified. I mean, people yes, were dying because they weren't being correctly diagnosed. Yes, yes, and you'd see these kids with great big fat tummies and because their spleens would get too big, they'd mm-hmm. never heard of haemophilia. Um, it's, that's the same prevalence anywhere. So. Yeah, yeah, tell us a story about a young boy oh, who yes, had a swollen yes. knee. Oh, yes, yes. So there were a lot of young kids that would bleed a lot with mm-hmm. hemorrhagic dengue, which is from... A mosquito virus borne disease mm-hmm. and so I knew if we could do the testing for bleeding disorders we could help with the treatment and diagnose them so in the meantime um, I wasn't really thinking about haemophilia which is a genetic hereditary disorder in boys where they can't stop bleeding if mm-hmm. they get cut mm-hmm. or hurt themselves Anyway, one day this boy came in with a swollen knee. Literally, it was like the size of a football or a basketball. Yeah. (laughs) It was round. And he was in agony. And the surgeons there thought it was osteomyelitis. Well, that was the obvious thing to think um, because he wasn't, you know, there was no blood, but what happens in severe haemophiliacs is that just walking around on the joints can cause spontaneous bleeding inside the joint. Mm-hmm. So it gets very, very swollen. And this boy was about 12, I suppose, so he would have had it for a long time or since birth. And um, I said, oh, no, we should check for haemophilia, which we did, and he had haemophilia A, which is the most common one. And luckily we I'd been making this plasma from the blood, which we could give them as a substitute because we didn't have the factor eight there to give them. 
Um, but the surgeon wouldn't believe me and oh, he no. wanted to operate. So I, I just about had a fisticuff fight with him to stop me. Yeah. Well, what would have happened if he would have operated and cut his Oh, knee? well, he would have just bled to death or, yeah, so they just ooze. Oh, no. It's not like a spurting thing. And, in fact, later on, many years later, I was always having this fight with a lot of expat surgeons who were volunteering there who would cut people's legs because they'd think it was polio or, dis you know, the disjointed joint. And then the patient would just bleed and bleed and bleed. I think one young guy had... Um, I had about 200 bags of blood, which was in Cambodia. It's really hard to get that much blood. Yeah. And he ended up having his leg amputated up to his thigh nearly, and it was totally unnecessary because the doctors wouldn't listen to what I was trying to do. You've got to do these two simple, really, tests. Yeah. And what some doctors had been told that the tests cost $1,000 to diagnose haemophilia and you have to go to Vietnam to get it done. So I got the reagent from Australia and taught the Cambodians how to do it and then we got the machine donated and, um, and then eventually the Ministry of Health could see what I was teaching and they now, I got the money to buy the machines, but they're now buying the reagents. So the whole country now can do the test. So wow. that I mean, took many years and many fighting and many experts yeah. saying, don't, don't bother, you can't treat the patient. We had limited ways to treat them. But I said, it's not about treating them, it's about telling the parents what's wrong so they don't spend their sell their cow and their livelihood with quack doctors trying to find why their son keeps bleeding. Mm. So it was just the peace of mind parents could get. It's just so sad to know that for years so many people were dying unnecessarily because they were mm. misdiagnosed. But you were able to change all that. Yes, yeah, so I, I still to this day feel incredibly humble that God chose me that you know he must have been after me all my life to <laughs> yeah, get yeah. me into lab and and know that once he called me I would go and and do that work so what ended up was that I went eventually got a job with in the government system at the public health laboratories and I was able to then go and visit all the government labs in Cambodia and teach them about quality control. And, yeah, so I ended up staying on and off about 15 years. You're listening to The Story. Our guest today is once again scientist Robin Devenish, sharing more of her incredible story and the remarkable way God has used her to save thousands of lives in Cambodia. Next, we'll hear more about the impact she's had and how she went on to become a recipient of the Order of Australia Medal. All that and more when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. 
Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Today, Order of Australia Medal recipient Robin Devonish is once again our guest. She's sharing about the incredible impact she's had on the medical field in Cambodia. Next, we'll hear more of her story and about the many honours she's received. But first, we'll hear a fascinating side story about her mother as she continues her chat with Eric Scatterbo. So... I'd been in Cambodia about three years. Mum was probably about 85 or something. My dad had passed away a long time before and Mum started to get a few transitory strokes and she couldn't really live on her own anymore. Mm -hmm. So I had to make the decision, do I come back to Perth and look after my mum or do I still continue in Cambodia and do this amazing work yeah so again i went to my bible and asked god to show me what he wanted me to do (laughs) and you won't believe the passage i got it's another text that's in the bible that says not to put your mother or your son or whatever before him Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) wow well i couldn't be more clear than that Yeah, so I thought, oh, I felt terrible putting my mum, I had to sell her house and put her in a nursing home, which which was terrible. She she was quite lucid, a little bit of dementia, but she went quietly, but she always said when Robin put me in jail and things like that, that made me feel awful. Mm -hmm. But I just felt I had to do this work in Cambodia. So... Mum was in this home for about 18 months, I think, and it was as nice as it could get, I suppose. And then later on, someone, a mutual friend, had um, that I'd known when I was a teenager, met Mum somewhere, and Mum was saying, oh, I'm available, I'm on my own. And anyway, he said, oh, I know this this guy, he's... um, 88 and he still lives on his own and his wife had died and they he got put them together well mum and this guy Len they fell madly in love (laughs) and at 90 we get had to get mum out of the nursing home and they got married and came and lived at this little seaside village where I'm now living oh wow and and they mum had seven glorious years of happiness with this man because oh. my dad was a um, philanderer and always going bankrupt, <laughs> and he was the most lovely Christian man. And oh. I think within three months of meeting, they were married. Hmm. And and I said to mum, look. God blessed you with this miracle because you let me carry on my work mm. and it's just the most amazing wow. <laughs> story. So wow, I that, didn't is, have that is a great story. <laughs> yes. 
So meanwhile, you could go back to Cambodia. Unfortunately, we're running out of time, but we kind of got to sum up all the awards that you've received because of this work. But of course, the most important award is knowing you've saved thousands of people's lives. Yes, and the the wonderful thing is now that the and I still would be there, but of because of COVID. But yeah, yeah. Um, there was a reporter in in Cambodia who knew about me, and she asked to do a story on the ABC because mm-hmm. she knew yep. about my work. Yeah, and then people heard about that, and because of that interview, my Association of Medical Scientists. Um, gave me in 2018 a Medical Scientist of the Year Award, a lovely gold medal. Wow, Medical Scientist of the Year Award. Fantastic. Yes, and then after that, someone else nominated me for an Order of Australia medal, which Mm -hmm. I did get in 2019. But wait, there's more. Then you also received the STEM Hero Award from Pilbright Mines. What is that all about? Yes, so um, in Mandra, which is a little town 100 kilometres or uh, maybe not that far from Perth, and uh, we wanted to try and encourage young people to get interested in um, science, technology, maths. um, We call it STEM subjects. Mm -hmm. And so I offered to join them as a volunteer and uh, help promote that and they just out of the blue gave me that award which is a lovely wow. surprise so that was after i got the um australian um yeah the medal of the order of australia award the oam yeah yes, well, i, I yes. think you could truly say that you are living the abundant life Yes, yes, yes. So even just this morning I had an email from one of the, he's actually an American clinician working in Cambodia thanking me because I often help them via email about um, hematological disorders. So Mm -hmm. it's wonderful to still be able to do that. And To this day you're still helping in Cambodia. Yeah, well, I'm I'm 75 now, but I would still go back and help them, and they desperately need my help to improve the curriculum at the mm. university there, where they teach um, med lab science. Yeah, they still want you back there. Yes, yes. So um, I, it's just because of COVID that I'm I'm still here. So lucky to get this interview. I'm blessed to speak with you. I'm just noticing the irony. Here in your 40s, you kind of walked away from the Lord and your church upbringing because you felt that you weren't getting the abundant life. You wanted the abundant life, which you mistakenly thought was the wild partying kind of life in general. Yes. But yet you come back to the Lord and now, as we're hearing, your cup overflows. I mean, this is the abundant life. Yes. Yes, 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 it is. And the, when I go back there now, the, the Cambodians just love me so much mm. and they're so proud to tell me that they are now teaching the next generation everything that I've taught them. So, Yeah, your legacy will continue for years and years to come. Yes, because a lot of NGOs go in and it all collapses and they leave. <laughs> Yeah. Well, unfortunately, we're almost completely out of time, but we have to end. 
with this story. Your son, Chris, thought you were probably too humble to say this yourself, but I'm going to ask you to say it anyway, because it's such a great story. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the time you met the Nobel Laureate. Oh, okay. So while I was still working in Cambodia, um, one of my colleagues from, oh, very long time colleague from Royal Perth Hospital was running the annual medical scientist conference in Perth. Mm -hmm. And he asked me to come and give a talk about my work over there, which I said, oh, great, I'd love to do that because I think they've paid for my airfare. (laughs) I Actually, I, I think I maybe brought one of my Cambodian colleagues with me as well. That was part of the deal. And um, anyway, I I had to give a talk. My talk was on the last day and I got, (laughs) I found out the person giving the talk after mine was Barry Marshall, the very famous Australian Nobel laureate who got the uh, Nobel Prize for Medicine for discovering the cause of ulcers mm-hmm. and um he so i was so nervous to be talking before yeah. <laughs> but it ended up that he came up afterwards and thanked me and said oh robin is there anything you haven't done and um so i have a photo of myself with him with the gold medal so at that stage i didn't have my gold medals <laughs> yeah and your son said that he actually said to you, you're my hero. Oh, yes, he, he may have said that. <laughs> my memory's not so good now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, he was very amazed by what I'd done, yes. Well, there's so much more that we can talk to you about, including yes. your time going to Liberia in the middle of an oh, Ebola yes, outbreak. Yes. We, don't, we don't have time. And in other countries, Mongolia, you've gone to so many things. Yeah, you need to write a book at some point, but you're too busy. We don't want you to stop yeah. saving people's lives to write a book. So keep on doing <laughs> what you're doing. But at yeah, some point, right. when you slow down, you got to get that book written. But thank you so much for sharing so much of your life with us today. Yes, I hope you've got a good story and others can know that God is good and he can really direct your life no matter how bad you think you've been. Well, that was part two of Eric Scatterbo's chat with scientist and Order of Australia medal recipient Robin Devenish from Western Australia. And what an incredible journey she's been on. This series all started out with us hearing about the contrast between her son Chris's life and Robin's life. Chris was on fire for the Lord and eventually became a pastor, while Robin rebelled against the Lord and kind of went off the rails for several years. But what an incredible turnaround in her life. Who would have thought that out of obedience to God, she would end up in Cambodia, saving thousands of people's lives and receiving one award after another. But I think Robin would be quick to say that the award that she treasures the most is her Heavenly Father telling her, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You were once lost, but now you are found and are blessing many. Well done, my servant. To learn more about Robin's son's church where she attends, the website is savinggracechurch.com.au. Once again, that's savinggracechurch.com.au. Well, thanks for joining us for this series featuring Robin and Pastor Chris Brown's story. Until next time, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. They were sent as a result of a large disturbance. 
they went by plane, but when they landed, they were met by a mob that had weapons and they just couldn't deal with them because uh, it was too, too dangerous. So they ended up flying back. But in the process of coming back, unfortunately, for various reasons, the plane fell short of the runway and they all killed in the plane crash. Bob Farley retired from the police force after four of his colleagues tragically died while on duty. This and other traumatic experiences in his life contributed to his mental state deteriorating. But he says it was God that gave his life a reboot. We'll hear Bob's full story next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.